You're listening to Steve Dace On Demand. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live on the Blaze on demand on CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well as New York talk show host Shannon Joy. We've got a packed house here. We'll tell you why in a minute. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can access it via email. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We begin, as we always do on a Friday, with your weekly look at the week that was. It's time for the Dace Group. music or the graphics any of that looks familiar to you at all it's because we ripped the whole thing off but john mclaughlin's dead now so i think he'll be okay with it issue one four days the latest real clear politics house map has the democrats leading republicans 203 to 196 seats with 36 seats in toss-up territory over in the senate republicans have a 50 to 44 advantage with six seats as toss-ups 538 still has Democrats with a 6-in-7 chance of retaking the House, while Republicans have a 6-in-7 chance of keeping the Senate. James O'Keefe's Project Veritas caught a staff member of Florida Democratic gubernatorial nominee Andrew Gillum railing on about white people. You have a governor, right? It's good. You got a black attorney general. That's good. Yeah. Now, the goal is to switch out your legislatures. So now the governor can get he can do what that. he wants. The rules in Florida are f***ed up. <laughs> Tell me about it, man. All right? This is a bad state. Okay. It's a cracker state. Okay. Okay? Ask anybody outside of here. You go to Port St. Lucie, Orlando. Man, them crackers ain't going to let us do that. He also released a video last night of campaign staff for Texas Senate candidate Beta O'Rourke conspiring to use campaign dollars to aid the illegal immigrant caravan. I just hope nobody that's the wrong person finds out about this. I can ignore the rules and I'll f- I don't mind breaking the rules and I can defend any position. I was going to use the vans too. So we, might, we could probably use that. Can we use the vans? We're going to use that to give some of those immigrants rides to like the airport, to the bus station. I'm done being nice. I'm done being professional. Trump has surprisingly been on message. We are in an economic boom that most folks thought was impossible. We have penetrated the 1 to 2% uh, so-called secular stagnation zone. Average hourly earnings up by 2.8% near record levels of consumer and business confidence. The second quarter GDP growth is impressive. 4.1%, lowest unemployment rate since December of 1969. The American core economy is on fire. It's on fire like it was in the 
civility can start again. But the hypothesis that this election is going on in two different countries still looks like it remains true. All right, we're down the home stretch here. Todd, I'll begin with you. Big winners and losers of the last full week of campaign 2018, which mercifully is about to come to an end. Go ahead. I'm not going to try to be remotely cute or original or anything. I, I think this is pretty clear. There was just a poll put out by political, political, I believe, in conjunction with somebody else that I wasn't familiar with. Morning Consult is their oh, poll. I wasn't. For. You've heard of it. No, okay. I just, I'm just telling you who they're polling for. Okay. I haven't uh, heard the poll. Yeah. Uh, who's uh, more uh, responsible uh, for the current condition of America in terms of not being able to uh, talk with each other? Uh, the press won out over Donald Trump. Do you know how bad you have to suck when you're more divisive uh, than Donald Trump. Uh, and he lays that out in that commercial. It's masterful. The guy is here on point while Don Lemon is melting down. We're going to talk about that later. It's The biggest winner is uh, Donald Trump. The biggest loser uh, is Republicans. And the people have said so, not just me. Aaron. Yeah, I want to clarify something I said in that uh, in that um, montage to be open up this uh, topic. When I say he's been on message, I mean by Donald Trump's standards, he's been on message, which means that he hasn't been, you know, getting on Twitter right. at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning and lambasting uh, LeBron James or the NFL kneelers on Sundays, although he probably has done that. And maybe it's just we've just gotten used to it by now. But no, he, by Donald Trump's standards, he's been on message. Um, and that's the only he's that commercial is the only two things that the Republicans have to stand on is we're not the Democrats and the economy's pretty good right now, which may or may not be because of us, which they, they can't take some credit for it. Some of his policies that he's been able to do from the executive level, I think, uh, definitely have have helped turn the economy around and, and gotten us to where we are now. Um, but as far as the biggest winners and the biggest losers, uh, I would say the biggest losers are Democrat campaign staffs everywhere because they don't at this point know that James O'Keefe and Project Veritas <laughs> is watching. They're always watching you. I they don't believe feel like most somebody's yeah, watching yeah, me. Yeah. No, no, yes. they don't. They, most most leftists don't believe in God, and so they don't believe that God is always watching. But they, boy, they need to they need to understand pretty quickly that James O'Keefe is probably watching them. Uh, biggest winner, I would have to say, um, man, biggest winner. Oh, uh, forever and always during this time of the year, I would say ad executives. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. Be a Merry Christmas for them. Yep. That's the best campaign commercial yep. Republicans have won, have run nationally yes. since morning in America. Yes. And that was 35 years ago. Best campaign commercial I've seen in my professional career. And it's the kind of commercial you guys, you've heard me on phones, make, calling, talking to candidates and causes I've worked with. I've tried to get them to run ads just like that for how many years and they wouldn't do it like i wanted the when, on the cruise campaign i wanted us to run an endorsement um endorsement ad 
where all of the liberal media people that were all endorsing Jeb Bush and all the other candidates, okay? And, and the point of the ad was, everybody who hates you hates us. Vote Ted Cruz. And he would never run that ad, okay? But that's exactly what that is. It's the best ad the Republican Party has ran on any kind of a national macro scale in 35 years. Just my opinion as a guy who's written my share of ads, many of them rejected because they said stuff like that, okay? But to, that, that's been paid to do messaging. My professional opinion is that's gold, Jerry. That is solid freaking gold. And what's the most different thing about this party? It's it's Donald Trump. It's hate the game, not the player. It's like my Lindsey Graham rule. Like the fact that that we are devoid of men who will do things, and when then somebody like Lindsey or Donald Trump steps up and actually, it's not it it's not their fault. Okay, it's all the years' fault who could have done it all those years, like Steve said, and you didn't because you were sissies and you were cowards. It's of course not uh, just an endorsement, a flat out endorsement of everything Donald Trump. No. When we say that, no, I'm just, just saying the quality just, of the ad. Yeah, we're yeah. just saying that this is. Uh, this we're just calling balls and strikes. I guess it's the say. best messaging because of all the failed promises that they made us on the policy level. It's the best message, but they it's could the hope best for. positive message they could hope for. Yeah. And then you contrast it with the actual visual of the other side's uh, outcomes that they of, of how they yes. behaved. It's the best possible message in the way it's produced. My opinion, that's a one sauce right there. Shannon, your thoughts. I agree with you, Steve. That was a masterful commercial. Um, I was in advertising and marketing for 15 years prior to starting my radio program. Radio, television, billboards, copywriting, the gamut. And that was a masterful commercial. You know, it almost stirred something in me even, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty shrewd when it comes to seeing through some of the propaganda. But um, regardless of that, I think, you know, when, when you ask the question, you know, who is the biggest winner um, this week? I'm going to declare victory for the rebel forces right now because uh, aside from the the clashing of the factions and the rhetoric and the optics that we see that are, that are stirring emotionally and it gets you angry and it gets you upset and when you see what Democrats are capable of and how crazy they are, um, you know, that's not a good thing. But what I'm seeing... Um, in my own circle, and I spend a lot of time, way too much time probably on social media, Twitter and Facebook, but also in my own community here in New York State, uh, talking to neighbors and friends, Democrats and Republicans, I'm seeing a growing movement in our state and nationally of regular Americans who are emancipating themselves from the political factions. And this is really important. What I'm hearing from people, they understand we have to go to the, the polling booth, we have to pull a lever for one of these two parties, but most people are generally fatigued by all the fighting. They, are, uh, they have a feeling of disenfranchisement with all of our major institutions, our political institutions, our mm -hmm. media institutions, both on the right and the left, and, and more overwhelming than that is just utter disgust with both of the political factions. And I'm talking about, the, you know, the liberals, the conservatives. Um, I think that's important because I do believe, you know, when, when people ask me, when I talk about political theater and I talk about the unibrow, I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not saying that in kind of a general statement. I 
truly believe from observing politics for the past five years very closely that the Republicans and Democrats are working together. And when you see these clashes, uh, everything from Kavanaugh to the caravan fracas, uh, both parties are benefiting from this, right? What, what are they doing? They're keeping their people in line. They're keeping us all on the plantation. We're focused on the fight. We're focused on the emotion. And we're not focused on the larger political agenda, the progressive agenda that they're continuing to push through. We're not talking about the fact that Lindsey Graham is crafting legislation right now to be passed in December, right after the election, that will most likely legalize all the DACA recipients and probably millions of illegals in this country in exchange for maybe some funding for a border wall in the future. So that's what's happening outside of all of this. And in order for us to move forward from a liberty perspective, we need more and more people to emancipate themselves fully from both of those parties and to find another vessel to fight for the liberty movement. And so that, to me, was a a huge win, and I hope to see more of it. I think everything you just said is another reason why that ad is so impactful, because the, well, if you want to call it the liberty movement or the conservative movement, whatever you want to call it now, um, we're the ones that are, we're the ones that are disappointed on a policy, on a policy basis. Most Americans really don't have a set of policy principles. Most Americans' policy principles are, I don't want government to tell me what I have to believe or how I have to behave, but I do want, so I don't want a government big enough to tell me I have to change my religion. They don't like the bake the cake bigot stuff, but I want a government big enough to pay my bills that I can't pay for myself, so take care of my health care, okay? This is an impossible needle to thread. What most Americans want from government simply doesn't exist. Um, the notion that most Americans want limited government in Sodom and Gomorrah is wrong. It's actually the other way around. Most Americans want Mayberry RFD to some extent, and then they want to you know, have somebody uh, give them a bailout when you know, the bill comes due and they can't afford it. That's, that's what most Americans want. Um, we, we that are ideologically conservative or pro-liberty, we're the ones that are disappointed that Obamacare didn't get repealed. We're the ones that are disappointed that Planned Parenthood didn't get defunded. Most Americans, if you ask them, do you care if we fund Planned Parenthood or not? If you ask them that question and, and unemployment was at 3% like it is now, they don't care. If you ask them that question and unemployment's at 6 they care. You see what I'm trying to say? That, that, this is, this is, that messaging reaches that group of people perfectly, okay? And that's why I think it's so impactful. I think there's two groups of people that are disenfranchised. There are those that are ideologically aligned with people like us who realize the Republican Party. I've got a book coming out in January that will make the case we have no future, no hope for conservatism or liberty in this party. But then there's a whole other swath of people that aren't, that are disenfranchised from government because they're seeking an ideological coalition that largely doesn't exist and probably can't. And they're the ones that are swaying back and forth, okay? And so Republicans go too far with their crony capitalism. They vote Obama. And then when Obama goes too far in, in, in the coercive arm of government pouncing down on him, they give Republicans Congress. And they're the ones that are creating this wide swath of, of swings that we have seen since the 2000 election. Um, and I think that's, we're going to have to figure out in the future, 
you know, whether that there's a coalition possible with those people, because I largely think what the role we want government to have in our lives as liberty or conservatives or liberty people, they don't agree with that. I, I don't believe they want free market health care. I think they want a free market health care that lets them take their health care wherever they want, like we want them to have, but covers every pre-existing condition on planet Earth and, and pays every single mom's premium for her when she can't afford it. That's what I think they want. They want a government that's not attainable is what I think most of the people you're describing actually want. Well, you're talking about people. You're talking about the general public. Mm -hmm. And the general public has has historically always been made up of sheep, right? People who will go either way. And it's always parties or factions or groups, it's movements that kind of pull them along. And so the question is, right now we have two fake movements that actually work together that are yanking the country in one direction with no opposition movement. The, the people will take, you say they want the government to take care of their health care. They don't really want that. They want cheap health care. They, they want cheap, affordable health care and they want to be free. Now, how that's presented to them, they could care less if it's coming from Barack Obama or Donald Trump or the federal government or from a free market system, which features competition and, and you know, supply. The problem with that, well, th th we're going to have a whole other argument that we'll have another time. The problem with that is right. the cheap health care they want can't do the number one thing they want, which is to cover every pre-existing condition on planet Earth. That's not a, a, a that's not an obtainable universe. But we'll have we're going to have plenty of time to debate healthcare policy after the election. Let's get to the exit question. Exit question: If the hopes of Republicans to win on Tuesday were an ACDC song, as I clicked out of my thing, where is it? There it is. All right, which yeah. which highway, a, to hell. highway to hell? A or A? It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. B Highway to Hell or C Shoot to Thrill? What do Republican prospects look like on Tuesday to you, Aaron? Highway to Hell. Always, no matter what. Purely, That's our millennial right there. Todd. Purely political analysis. I'm shifting away from A, which I've always been at, to C. Shoot to thrill. They're right there. Shannon. I'm going with rage against uh, the machine. Know your enemy. Okay. That wasn't one of the options. <laughs> Issue two. I have no idea what that means. Uh, the lemon test. First, there was this. Kanye West is what happens when Negroes don't read. Um, and, and we have this now, and now Donald Trump is going to use it and pervert it, and he's going to have somebody who can stand with him and take pictures. <laughs> Just looking at Scott's face. <laughs> Scott's like, whoa, okay. And then there was this. But now all of a sudden, Kanye, because he's put on a MAGA hat, and he's an attention whore like the president. He's all of a sudden now the the, the model spokesperson. He's he's the token Negro of the of the Trump administration. This is ridiculous, and no one should be taking Kanye West seriously. He's clearly has issues. He's already been hospitalized. You know, not to trivialize mental health issues, but I mean, obviously Kanye has taken a turn in a very strange way. You so naturally. There was this. So we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. There is no travel ban on them. There is no ban on, you know, they had the Muslim ban. There is no white guy ban. So what do we do about that? And finally. So people who were angered about what I said are missing the entire point. We don't need to worry about people who are thousands of miles away. The biggest threats are homegrown. Here's the reason we're going to talk about this. Okay. Somebody just tweeted to me because I, I wanted to know why Fox News did an interview with the chairperson of the Republican Party 
to tell us she sees no evidence of a blue wave. Guys, in, in what earth in the known multiverse, four days before an election, would the chairman of a rival political party go on camera and admit they're going to lose to the other party? Can you think of any of the, any of the, of the earths we have discovered in both the DC and MCUs? Can you think of any of the earths where that would occur? Any of them? No? Why is that news? Why is that news? And somebody tweeted back to me, here's why it's news. That bait ain't going to click itself. That's why. That's right. Exactly. All right. So we're not bringing him up. This is not for a clickbaity conversation. We know he's silly. We know he's a racist. Uh, We're not going to have that conversation. Here's why I wanted to bring this up. Because I think this, this may give us, if we look at this not as a straw man, but critically, a chance to see into the hive mind of modern American elite elite sector progressivism. Here's why. This guy is an overt racist. It's not even hidden. Or he's a fake racist because he's dating a white guy. But either way, he's playing a racist on television. Whether he's an overt one or not, he's playing one on TV. All right? His ratings this week, I I went and looked at this week because we can cherry pick, right? CNN likes to say they're a top 10 overall cable network. Well, the problem is they take their daytime numbers where people tune into them for breaking news and their daytime numbers are pretty good. Their primetime audience, which is where all your ads are sold, are dreadful. But I wanted to look at what his ratings were this week when he's getting all this attention, right? So I went and looked at his ratings this week, October 31st, all right, which would be the most curiosity factor the day after he made the white guy reference on television. Um, he, he was at 1.193 million viewers, according to TV Newser. That is not even half of Laura Ingram's audience, audience on Fox at the same time, not even half. And it's well, be, well behind Lawrence O'Donnell, who, in case you were wondering, yes, he's still on television, apparently, all right? Um, so I think we need to ask ourselves, what do they think they're accomplishing over there? with this who who is the intended audience and i want us to think critically all right there's a time to breitbart things up for fun this is not one of them all right this is not a time for you know the blazer crtv to to run their media sucks stuff that we all run that, that there's a time and a place for that okay i think we need to ask her and maybe the answer is they're just dumb I, i'm open to that stupidity is always a possibility here but if you put yourself in their shoes They're alienating the vast majority of their own potential audience. Lawrence O'Donnell's outdrawing him by hundreds of thousands of viewers, guys. Stop the hammering. Okay. Yes, that guy. When when the CNN production team gets together, what do you think they think they're accomplishing with this? I'm curious. Try to think this through seriously. Shannon, I'll start with you. I think... uh... First, you have to look at what is the purpose of CNN? What is the purpose of MSNBC, ABC, CBS? Um, they're not, they're not uh, businesses looking to make profits. They are propaganda outlets. So the purpose really isn't to garner ratings. It isn't to beat out the competitor. They have a built-in audience. They're propped up in a million different ways. Uh, corporate media is largely owned by just a handful of massive uh, banking institutions. And so ultimately, the purpose of, of CNN is to deliver a propaganda message. And so Don Lemon is on because he's willing to play the role of liberal defender and bomb thrower. 
right now because what that does, it gins up the lact, it gets them all riled up, and it also serves, to be quite frank, the other side of the unibrow, it serves the Republican purposes as well. It gets the Republican base angry and riled up, and now we have a great big huge fight again to, to distract us from everything else. He'll be on the air, I think, as long as he's useful to his handlers, uh, progressives. And these are the progressives who own and dominate most of liberal so progressives. So you, you think he's an intentional tool is what you're saying? This is, an un, this, is an un, this is an unintentional marketing. This is, in, this is a direct intentional utilization yeah. of him as a tool. I don't know if he knows it. He probably doesn't. He probably doesn't realize that he's being used as a tool, but but he's playing the role that is laid out for him. Mm -hmm. When he stops playing that role, if he stops playing that role, then he'll be either cast aside or recast in another area where he'll serve another purpose. So um, that that's the way people look at media as if as if they care about ratings and they care about business, they have built in. When you look at, if you look at the major advertisers and some of the the major media conglomerates, it's the pharmaceutical companies. It's the it's the the massive. I mean, these massive banking institutions, and so they have built in revenue. Um, they are using this this apparatus to push an agenda, a larger progressive agenda. In my opinion. Okay, Todd, what do you think? Well, what do you think they you, think? Well, you you know, I've said this. That I've been saying this as long as I've been on the show and well before. I'm absolute. I'm as certain of this as I am of anything else. We've been talking about the slippery slope, Steve, mm-hmm. for a very long time. Oh, and and many of us on the right, just we couldn't. It's not going to come to that. It, it always it always came to that. I've never lost a slippery slope yeah. argument in my career. Well, here's why. <laughs> they really believe it, all right? Lawrence O'Donnell, he's an anachronism. They just haven't found the Don Lemon yet or the Rachel Maddow uh, to, to uh, quite replace him. This is who you are, and it, it, this is who they are. And I, I've said it on the show many times. Why, why would they... I tried when I 12 years at the register convince them you can still say the things you want to uh, but you, you you for business reasons you got to let other people say the things they want to no well that's a form of fasting who who tends to do things like that you know yes. fast Sorry, give up going. it's people who have a religiosity yes. to what they do mm. yep. Don Lemon is who they are <clears throat> Are. He's not playing a role. This is who they are. This is their best hope for the future. They, uh, it's a promise to you that this is where we are going. So you think it's sincere evangelism? Yes. Aaron, you agree Dang with it, that? Todd. <laughs> yes. He took your answer? Yes, he took my answer. Well, here's the thing. It's, this, is, this is what you see out of missionaries um, yes. in the field. This is the this is the type of fervor that you know. Um, except it's a perversion of that. For the state so loved the world that he sent his only begotten lemon. That whosoever Ooh. listens to lemon shall That'll have. Preach. Yeah, that, no, that will is, preach. That is what we are. That's what we're seeing here. It is a perversion <laughs> of the evangelistic process that any version of Christianity um, usually has, or you, we have seen in, in in the past before. Because there is there is a motivation that they you know these people are lost they have to they have to be told how how self um, uh, how to self loathe they need they need to know what the state can do for them and look at all of these lost people it is that type of a perverted uh, view of wor- the world and the people 
who around you, your neighbors, who do not agree or do not, they think that we are the pagans in their worldview. They really do. That's what we are seeing every day. That's why he wouldn't. That's why he wouldn't uh, apologize because he really believes that, and because CNN and Mass really believes that, and that's why he doubled down. They really do believe this because this is a religion to them. This is not a job. This is not commentary. This is we must we must proselytize the uh, the pagans at our doorsteps the the pagans in middle america they do not know forgive them state for they don't know what they do but crush them if they cross us i think this is very important if you watching us or listening to us right now what you just heard this is why i wanted us to talk about this from the perspective of what they're thinking because what we see is hey we got our trolls and provocateurs right but they've got to produce some results i mean Sean Hannity at times may drive some of us nuts and make some of us, I mean, some of us on the right nuts and applaud in the same episode. He's also got the highest ratings he's ever had. If Sean Hannity was drawing 1.193 viewers a night on Fox, would he still be on Fox right now? Heck no. Well, they were starting to push him out. Yeah, they were. They'd find another Trump shill that could get 3 million votes. See what I'm saying? So for us in in the what's left of America, we're struggling with this idea why do you keep just getting to do crazy stuff when it doesn't get you any results? His audience isn't growing by him being this provocateur. But, you know, so we, we're trying to figure this out because we're looking at this as a bottom line construct. They're seeing, they see this as an evangelistic one. You don't drop Don Lemon for the same reason you don't drop your most pious evangelist, even if the tent revival only draws nine people, because you believe sincerely in the message that he's preaching. And it's worked up until Trump. It worked. That's what I meant about the slippery slope. They kept taking the ground. Right. And I think this is why we have to understand that, that if this is sincerity— if they're sincere about this, then they will have they will offer no room for accommodation of any opposition whatsoever. Exit question, yes or no answer. Will Don Lemon have a nightly show on CNN a year from now? Todd. Absolutely. Shannon. Yes. Aaron. Of course. All right, when we come back, Kanye West, we're going to talk about him. And so much for the dialing down the rhetoric thing. We're, we're going to kind of suck at that, too. That and more next year, live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. I was on my way into the gym this morning for a Kettle Hell workout. Those things look so harmless and so tiny. They're from the devil. And uh, flipping cha- wife was flipping the channels and there was a big story about uh, superfoods on television and they had a they were featuring a whole bunch of things I know are not superfoods like I, I I you know some of them I really like you know that's kind of one of the reasons why I know they're not superfoods because um, if you looked at the label on the back of a lot of these foods it says supplemental facts instead of nutrition facts and the reason why is because it's not a food it's an extract well with the goal of creating a real superfood for a change that enhances your health and helps health and helps you to reach your full potential. A team of top physicians gathered together to form Brickhouse Nutrition. And they want to introduce our audience here at the Blaze and CRTV to Field of Greens. It's the first real superfood, and the difference that sets it apart can be seen right there on the bottle. Because when you turn it over, it doesn't say supplemental facts, it says nutrition facts. 
which is the label they throw on stuff that's actual food, real food. One scoop of Field of Greens is a full serving of real certified vegan, vegetarian, and USDA organic fruits and vegetables complete with those antioxidants you need this time of year as cold and flu season is almost upon us. This is daily clean green energy that fuels your body for a healthier and happier lifestyle. For a limited time offer, you can visit BrickHouseSteve.com. That's BrickHouseSteve.com. Use promo code Steve. You'll get 15% off of your first order at BrickHouseSteve.com. 15% off your first order if you use my first name, Steve, as a promo code. BrickHouseSteve.com. Visit that today. Experience a better, healthier you tomorrow. All right, back here with the Dace Group Roundtable, live on The Blaze, on demand at CRTV. Reviewing the week that was. Let's look at issue three. Kanye. That was fun. This is racist. So we don't have a reparations, but we had a 13th Amendment. We got to open up the whole conversation. So, and uh, that's a move. One of the moves that I love that liberals tried to do, the liberal would try to control a black person through the concept of racism because they know that we are very proud, emotional people. So when I said I like Trump to like someone that's liberal, they'll say, Oh, but he's racist. You think racism can control me? Oh, that don't stop me. That's an invisible wall. Mr. West, what would you like? That's when you Oh, your question. You, you have one question. We go to another question. Okay. I Mr. answered West. your question. I don't answer questions in simple sound, sound bites. You, you are tasting a fine wine. It has multiple notes to it. You better play 4D chess with me like it's Minority Report. Now, he gone. My eyes are now wide open and realize I've been used to spread messages I don't believe in. I'm distancing myself from politics and completely focusing on being creative. All right, first question. You know, if, if celebrities and conservatism were a Facebook status, it would be, it's complicated, right? On one hand, because most celebrities, like almost all, uh, are mouthpieces for progressivism or whatever the current liberal uh, line du jour is in order for them to gain career acceptance, they will spew forth. We want to pretend as if celebrity uh, input doesn't matter. And then we like to forget that Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan were primarily known as celebrities before they became president of the United States. Uh, And then at the same exact time, we greatly crave and desire celebrity relevance and acceptance on the right. So, Shannon, since Todd and Aaron and I have already discussed this topic at length, I'm going to start with you in case you say something different that causes us to reassess what we already said about it this week. Is Kanye a cynical publicity whore? Or did some folks at Turning Point USA make some earnest inroads originally and then get caught with their britches down trying to turn him into a direct spokesperson for their pet political cause and he wasn't playing that? What do you think happened here? Well, I think if you look at the emergence of Kanye into the Trump administration, into the political fray, it was uh, Kanye along with his wife, Kim, who were focused on very clear political agendas. Uh, They were pushing for criminal justice reform. And so outside of all the other uh, you know, news that we saw, the love fest between Kanye and Donald Trump, the, you know, behind the scenes, you've seen them now move the concept and the, the legislation for federal criminal justice reform forward. So I think there was a political agenda there on, on, on Kanye's part. I think that um, he also is a publicity whore and he is, you know, he's going to take what he can get. 
He's going to be provocative when he can be provocative. And 10 years ago, it was with gangster rap. And today it's with blowing up what the notion is about a Republican in black circles. And so I think that, I mean, this, this, his leaving now and moving away is probably the most predictable thing that any of us could have, could have predicted in 2018. But the lesson here, I think the larger lesson is that a zebra doesn't change its stripes. Uh, if it walks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, it's a duck. If you want to go biblical, you'll know them by their fruits. And so conservatives need to understand that we need to hold celebrities and not just Kanye, but also the celebrity in chief, Donald Trump, at an arm's length and and not take their rhetoric as as, you know, goals, but look at what they're actually doing and look at what they're actually pushing. So, you know, I don't really know. I don't really know why all of this happened, but I do know that there, there was a very clear and well-orchestrated political agenda that they were able to succeed in moving forward. So based off what you just heard, Todd, from Shannon, who's the new voice that this conversation, we've had for a couple of days on this show discussing it. What's her, what's her angle or perspective? How's it impacted what you have thought about this story throughout the course of the week? Well, I agree with most of it. Listen, this, this extracting... Uh, black America uh, from the death grip of the Democratic Party. It, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be messy. There's no way around that. And that's not un even unique to this particular period in time. I mean, uh, let's go back to the beginning uh, of the 20th century. There were very, very feisty debates between Booker T. Washington and mm -hmm. W.E.B. Du Bois about how the course black America should take. Set set um, his celebrity aside. Of course, he's a publicity whore, but set that aside. I, I loved his- I love who we are today. Of course, these are publicity whores. Yes, of course. But that notwithstanding, let me. But I get. I, you're right to say that. That's the world in which we live. I just think it's kind of his, funny. His line about this being a fine wine. It it actually was in, in many respects because it's it's men like Kanye who, who again the celebrity aside, but men like him. I I don't want to be on anybody's reservation. I salute you because you know who wants to be on a reservation? Most white people, black people, whatever color people, they, they really want to live in their safe little flat earth society. In that moment in time, I believe he just said, I, I, I'm sick of all the tribalism. We need men like that of every strain to set aside all the lies they've been told. And that's as fine a wine as you're going to get these days, short of the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, I think there is a uh, a chasm between saying um, we have Kanye and uh, Kanye is is uh, conservative, um, there, or whatever has been said about Kanye. Um, the, I think TPUSA, at least in some small way, is is guilty of violating what Kanye West was trying to articulate and did articulate during parts of that meeting at the White House and and um, the past year when he's been speaking out politically. They they just used him basically. They tried to use him um, as part of their own tribe, and that's what he was trying mm. to rebuke. Um, that it's, it's difficult to articulate because on one hand you have the, the, the kind of the black America side and the racial side of this conversation, and the, on the other side there's the... There's the celebrity conversation as well, but we need to be very, we need to be very careful 
uh, about saying because we have um, because we have this person. Yeah, it, it needs to be about it, ideas. And so far, we have not gotten that down. No matter who comes to our camp or to our idea, we we look at the person. Look who we have. We have Scott Bio or Bale, whatever his name is. We have uh, fill in the blank. We have these people. We're always looking at people and not ideas. Look, instead of saying we have this person, we have Kanye. Look what Kanye is articulating. That is what should uh, unite us more than any one person like Kanye, and we have not figured out how to do that right, uh, do that as well. And when we don't figure out how to look at ideas, look at what Kanye was saying, look at the idea that he was articulating, isn't that great? And then going out and selling that idea to a wider audience as well, using maybe Kanye if he wants to as a vehicle to do that, or using him a, 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 you know illustratively or or you know kind of breaking down walls or whatever because of who he is and the persona he he has in this culture. Instead, we're just playing the left's game of identity politics over and over and over again. Look at this famous black guy. Come join our club. We've got him. Am I hearing you say that Kanye is actually the adult in the room here? And that he um, and you're, let me let me let me finish that that because I this is an interesting contrarian view that I think I heard you articulate, which is he might actually be open to leaving conventional paradigms aside, but TPUSA, which is basically a Trump super PAC, tried to co-opt him to essentially join another paradigm tribe in exchange for the one that he had. And yeah. he's like, I'm rejecting paradigms and tribes. I'm not, I'm not joining your team. I don't want to join a team anymore. That's the whole point of this. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think for a, at least for a little bit, that was, I don't know what he is now. I know he, he said, came out later after that tweet and said, this is not about Trump. It was just about the TPUSA thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that again, I, I think TPUSA is guilty of the exact same thing that Kanye was accusing liberals of in the clip that we just That's just an heard. Then. Interesting point, worthy of considering. Hmm. Exit question: Will Kanye West and that, I think maybe I know Aaron's answer based on what he just said. Will Kanye West produce a song with anti-Trump and/or anti-TPUSA lyrics in time for the 2020 election? Shannon, uh, he's unpredictable now. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a good fine answer. If you don't know, you don't know. Aaron, what do you think? Oh, boy. Binary choices. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no as well. Okay. Issue four. Dying down the rhetoric. Has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. As the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. Trump has delivered on the things that they care about most. He has delivered racism for these people. He has delivered misogyny for these people. The same type of rhetoric, the same type of propaganda that you would have seen in Germany in 1938, the dehumanization, turning people into infested vermin. The young people in this country are not with this sort of evil, nasty authoritarianism. Republicans have to call this out because their souls are on the line. So he has a giant cult. He also heads a party that knows very well that he's a giant cult. His erratic behavior, his ignorance could pose a profound danger to every single person in this country and literally every inhabitant of the planet Earth. The president's obviously a racist. He's obviously a demagogue. He obviously condones anti-Semitism, stokes up nationalist hatred, all the stuff we've said. That's propaganda. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. This radical group of right-wingers who've perverted our democracy 
and really are doing what they can to ruin our country. This whole caravan in the last week of the election is a giant lie. This is Trump's Reichstag fire. Look, evil lurks in the hearts of men, (laughs) and it does. And what Trump has tapped into is evil. We're going to see if this reign lasts for 30 days or two years or a thousand year Reich. What Trump does with the power that people give him is turns it to evil. Here we are after the carnage and this man. This moral monster is playing to those base instincts. It's not even a question of whether it's presidential behavior or not. It's not minimally human behavior. There's no way that he's going to prevail because he's evil. He's dark. It's the opposite of what America stands for. This has now become a struggle about good versus evil. And the president of the United States is evil. I want us to handle this the same way we did with the lemon conversation a minute ago. Okay which is different than most conservative media would, which is poke fun, low-lying fruit, straw man arguments, because as we learned earlier in this show, that bait ain't going to click itself. We're going to treat this like we're adults. Not what we think they think, what do, or what we think about what they think. What do we think they actually think? Do these people, Todd, let me start with you, do they fully realize what the ultimate consequences of this rhetoric are, and then are they prepared to pay them? What do you think? Well, this is a great companion uh, piece. This is the part two. Yes. Talking about Lemon. Because I, I absolutely believe that their beliefs are authentic. But I also absolutely believe, and I know this uh, because I'm a Christian and uh, human history uh, tells us this, th- they don't understand the consequences. And that's probably more true about this particular generation than any generation before because they're so protected, they're so insulated, they're so comfortable, which is why they can get to these these false belief systems and believe them so strongly. They don't understand the basic physics of consequences anymore. I mean, we believe men can become women. We believe we should be teaching this to two-year-old boys and girls. They, they don't understand the consequence of the, where this is going let, at let me, all. Let me, let me, Shannon, let me go to the ultimate consequence of this. It's legitimate in today's classrooms to have ethical conversations in academia with students about would it have been ethical to assassinate Hitler as a child before he, knowing what you know now of the monster he would become, right? These things get debated all the time. If you're on television every day telling people this is a crystal knock, it's the Reichstag fire, uh, this is Germany, 1938, why wouldn't some loony leftist believe he has every justification to go out there and attempt to assassinate the president then? Because it's the same, it's the same ethical and moral question that goes on in academia every day at, along the lines of if you're facing a Hitler, what would you do? We, I mean, we have lionized within Christendom, we have lionized a Lutheran minister who attempted to assassinate Hitler. Was one of it, which was one of his last acts before they, he died in a concentration camp. And we view it as ethical because Hitler was that kind of evil. If you're really saying these things and you really believe them, do they understand what the potential consequences of this are? What do you think? I don't think any of us in this country today understand the consequences of this type of rhetoric from either side, to be honest. Um, you know, this probably won't be very popular with your audience, but I, you know, I can't, I, I, I watch that montage and it's vile. 
Um, they, they shouldn't speak that way. They shouldn't use the elevated rhetoric. Um, they have positions of great power and influence, and you're right. They, the words that they use can then go out and, and incite people to violence, which we all abhor. But I don't think that you can have this conversation in an intellectually honest way if you don't also address the hyperbolic rhetoric also coming from the right and also coming from this president. And that's not to dismiss what the left is doing because what they're doing is wrong. But you can't, we can't go back and forth with, well, they're worse, they're worse. Well, they did this and they did that. You know, the president just recently went to a, a state and, and laughed and joked with the audience about a congressman body slamming a reporter. And yet he was he was actually convicted. I mean, he was arrested and convicted for physically assaulting a, a, a liberal reporter. And so this, this rhetoric has to be tamed on both sides. And, and so, yeah, you can call out the left, but I really honestly think we need to be calling out the right. See, at this point, the right has adopted now, they've adopted Machiavelli. They've adopted Saul Alinsky tactics. They've adopted Donald or, uh, you know, Bill Clinton. Quickly, we're running out of time. Make finish up. Go ahead. Yeah. The, the point is the only the only arrow we have in our quiver, if we're going to do this the right way, is honor, virtue, truth. That's the way that we need to fight them, not going down to their level. All right. Let's get to the exit question here. Uh, exit question. How much of the American left do you believe really wants violence in the streets? Aaron? Um, I, I just want to, I, I'm, it's gotta be real quick. If you have a point you need to make, the left does not see consequences. They only see opportunities for more power. That's a good way of putting it. How much do you think Todd? Uh, I would say, uh, 50% of them do. Okay. Shannon, we're almost out of time, but I want to give you time to do your prediction because we can do it after the break. So you have a prediction for us in 20 Uh, seconds. Uh, I, I, um, legislation for DACA, Amnesty, and Christmas Eve. All right, Shannon. Thanks. Always good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Hour two is next. Stay tuned. Back with hour two here at the Steve Day Show live on the Blaze on demand at CRTV. I want to thank Shannon Joy from the New York Airwaves for joining us for the Day's Group Roundtable last hour. Uh, if you missed it, don't forget the podcast available each and every day via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, etc. And if you have not yet done so and you do listen to the podcast, if you're listening to it right now, in fact, please click that subscribe button. It helps us to get the word out to more potential new listeners when you do so, as well as when you leave us those five-star reviews. Those really help as well. If you like us, if you don't, don't lie, but if you like us, those five-star reviews are very helpful. And we thank all of you that have uh, done those two things uh, to aid and assist the growth of our show already. We greatly appreciate you. So we ran out of time at the end of the hour because I keep forgetting we have to be out of here at 55. So my fault. So we didn't have time to give out our predictions on the end of the day, Scroop. So Todd, I'll start with you. You have a prediction for us? Yeah, uh, there will be open tears shed, not by a panelist, but by one of the journalists on either CNN or MSNBC uh, on uh, late Tuesday night after covering the elections. Aaron? 
Uh, Iowa will finish the season one and three. Uh, we're in total self-loathing mode now, mailing it any, in so any, that I don't I don't get my hopes up like, and I can't be see, let down. Look at where he. What What are you What are you always telling me? Set your expectations yes. low. It's so one of the lessons yeah. I've taught you. If you first you don't succeed, lower your expectations. It's just any game that they've had so far. There's no dudes on their offense. I mean. Any game they've had, they've just turtled. They've just turtled. That where the pressure is on, they just turtled. We're together now, man. That you're where I was a month ago. This is here we go. It's just honest. It's yeah, yeah. His team is seven and two and ranked what is it, eighteenth in the country out of one hundred and thirty teams. They're they're terrible. They're yeah, turtling. He gets it. They are. They're terrible. All right. I said they, my team was terrible when they were about to rank the same thing, and that was going on. Don't, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make different, my different shades of terrible, Todd. But we'll, <laughs> yes, I'm, st- I'm he stopping. He will not t- permit you to define what his team's terrible is. <laughs> I got to say, the last time you guys went at it over this whole Wisconsin-Iowa thing, I got as much positive feedback to like anything we've had on this show in months. People just liked the fact, just liked how terrible you both were simultaneously. I did too, actually. Even if they didn't even have a clue in the world what you were talking about, they just enjoyed your mutual terribleness. They enjoyed oh, I'm it. I'm glad I could provide. I've got a football prediction this week as well. One of them I thought was going to happen last night and almost did, but it didn't happen. So I, I've had, I thought we were going to see three top teams go down this week straight up. I had Central Florida's winning streak ending last night. Somehow Temple had 700 yards and still couldn't win. Uh, but I've got Notre Dame and Georgia are going to lose tomorrow. Straight up. So Notre Dame's losing to Northwestern. Yep. And I think Kentucky's going to pull the big upset against Georgia tomorrow. That's my prediction. So. The college football this year is like, it's, you can't even recognize, you look at that top 25. I know, you have Washington it's State in there, ridiculous. Kentucky in there. 29 teams. Here's the thing, if you're a handicapper in football, the, the playoff trend. When, once the playoff rankings come out, the teams in the top four spots tend to tend to underperform the line because A, the public perception of those teams goes way up Right, and that they're about how good they are, and so the you have the, the line goes up with that. The other thing too is the other team that they're playing is like, well, man, we can make our season beating those guys. That, that's your mark, beating the playoff teams, right? Right. Like I know it sounds dumb. One of the reasons I'm really confident, aside from the fact that I don't think Trace McSorley's healthy, one of the things I'm really confident about our game with Penn State tomorrow is that we're ranked fifth. If we were ranked fourth, I would not lay the points. I'm dead serious when I say that because there that's the bullseye factor. I just talked about that. The bullseye factor of, hey, so Penn State's had a disappointing year. They've had those two crushing losses at the last minute. All of a sudden, Michigan's in the top four. You're like, let's go in there and spoil their season, man. And Michigan's like, crap, we're in the top four. You know, we were in the top four two years ago, and we lost to Iowa. We were in the top four at home. That was fun. Okay, I can't. You and, think and a lot Penn of those, State wants to beat Michigan less because they're ranked fifth. I, I think you, you. Yes, you're dealing with 18, 19. No, not less. The pressure on Michigan is less because they're fifth. Absolutely, oh, the it is. pressure on Michigan. Yes, and you're when you're dealing with eighteen yeah. to twenty-two year olds, that stuff absolutely matters. And how does it matter? We haven't even gotten to the playoff rankings yet, and twenty-nine times an unranked team has defeated a ranked team, like what happened well, that, here, Badgers against North against Northwestern last week. But, but my point about the entire slate of top twenty-five is my point about Wisconsin early on. It's not good. Just college football right now is just it's not. Good says the guy. Never mind. What are you doing I'm this weekend? Sorry. What are you doing this weekend? What were you? What are your plans? Well, that's the ultimate red herring <laughs> from a guy <laughs> who does, says he doesn't do red herrings. Yeah. So. Just ask him. Just asking questions. Yeah, yeah. I'm just asking questions. I'm going to replay that over and over again in my mind. <laughs> oh, he's right. It was a red herring. 
damn, it was a good one. It was a good red herring. It was a good one. Uh, let's get to a little Feedback Friday, shall we? Yes. Uh, you can take part in Feedback Friday. If you want us to respond, Aaron is still laughing about this. If you want us to respond to your feedback, your responses to us, steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show when we take the last hour of every week and get to as much of your feedback as we possibly can, which usually means like only three or four pieces because uh, these guys talk too much. Uh, also, what I'm noticing is since we brought the blaze in here too, we have seen, we already were getting enough uh, correspondence. It was getting hard for me to keep up with it, but now it's just totally off the chain. I'm, uh, and so I can't get to as much of this as I would like, as timely as I would like. I apologize. Well, Steve, why don't you have somebody read it? Because to me, I kind of feel like that's the, maybe it's the Iowan in me, but I kind of feel like, didn't we just do a show about poor customer service yesterday, you know? So I kind of feel like if you're going to email me directly and I'm going to ask for it, I would try to get to it, make every effort I can, and I'm trying. It's just we're getting so much of it now, I, I, I'm having a harder time keeping up with it. So I just wanted to apologize. All right, say, I'm sorry. Unlike all the times, DirecTV hasn't apologized to me for the fact I couldn't understand a damn word of their customer service attendant. Not that I'm bitter. Anyway, let's get to the feedback. Um, I'm going to go off the board because I just got this a little while ago. And it relates to the conversation we had yesterday about the Reformation. So it wasn't originally on my sheet, but I'm going to call it an audible here. Because I don't think the analogy that John in his email here is drawing, I don't, I'm going to, I'm just a, a grant up front that I don't think it is, ex, it, it, it's, it's, equi- it's, it's totally equivalent. But I think it's a good attempt to figure out as a Protestant, where you're coming from as a Catholic, that at the very least, an intelligent conversation could be had, right? So I don't believe the analogy he makes in his note is total equivalency, but I think it's an earnest enough attempt to figure out what that equivalency is that it's worth you, worth you at least responding to, okay? So John says, the Bible is to church tradition as the Constitution is to judicial precedent. And he says, this is why I'm an evangelical instead of a Catholic, and I'd want to know how would Todd respond to that. Again, I'm stating, I don't think it's totally equivalent. Well, first of all, one is of the secular and the other is of the sacred, okay? But I don't think it's 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 equivalent in terms of the weighting, all right? But he, it's, he's at least, I think, trying to figure out where you're coming is from. Is he saying that the way he sees it or the way he thinks I see it? Then I think this is the again? way he sees it, okay? Can you say it again, please? All right, just... that the Bible is to church tradition as the Constitution is to judicial precedent. Meaning, and I think this is what he means, it, judicial precedent is precedent until it conflicts with the expressed written words of the Constitution, all right? Um, it doesn't change the expressed written words of the Constitution. See, I think, I, I know this because I'm an evangelical. Most evangelicals believe that Catholics believe the words of the Pope change the expressed written wording of the Constitution, or I'm sorry, of the Bible. Do you think that's a fair assessment, Aaron, growing uh, up yes. in an evangelical yeah, household? Absolutely. Most yeah. evangelicals believe this, okay? And that is wrong. I, I, I mean, I'm not blaming you for thinking, but it, that, that is wrong. Uh, I, it's, I, I don't see it that way. We, it, one is not given, uh, again, I mentioned it yesterday, we have Scripture, we have big T tradition, that which is every bit as authoritative uh, as scripture, but simply is not 
in writing is passed down in other ways, which almost all truth was for most of human history. And then we have the magisterium, which is what Steve just got done. It's 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 the Pope, um, and it, it, the the framework, the the church framework, the the Pope, the College of Cardinals, the bishops, etc. Uh, it is not uh, those are. I guess something more akin uh, to uh, co-equal branches uh, of government, so to speak. That's more helpful. One does not have any more weight uh, than the other. Now, here's I'll spin it around and have Stephen Aaron correct me if I'm wrong. But I, uh, what Catholics think about uh, Protestants is that you basically view Scripture as most people now view legal positivism positivism and the Supreme Court, that it's, you guys all do your thing, but the last word belongs to that. We don't believe that. We don't believe it's also subservient to anything at all. It is one of, uh, pillar, uh, one, uh, um, leg of a three-legged stool, which truth pours out equally from all. What are the, and can I just pause, what are the other two legs? Uh, tradition, tradition and the magisterium. Tradition and the magisterium. Okay. Um, the irony of of this is where the word sola is important compared to solo. Okay, sola indic- is a statement of authority alone. Okay, it is not a statement of exclusivity. That would be solo. All right. So authority and exclusivity can mean the same thing, right? But it's not always, the, they don't always mean that, all right? And so uh, the question of authority speaks to that there, there, is other, there is truth in the world other than what is explicitly revealed in the scriptures. There is, so it's not a statement of solo. It's not a statement of exclusivity. It's a statement of authority. There is no higher truth than that, which is directly revealed by God in his word through the scriptures, okay? So that's where... That's where there's confusion over what does alone mean compared to only. And that's why I tried to make that distinction in the limited time Mm -hmm. we had yesterday. Now, I do believe, and I have said this to evangelical audiences I've spoken to on the air and in person for my whole, the wholeness of my career. The biggest mistake Protestantism has made in the modern era is the, is the jettisoning of tradition. Now I would call it as an evangelical small T tradition. And, and the idea that tradition unilaterally is a bad thing. No, it is not. When, when um, ladies, did you, did, did, do you have a, a, a cookie recipe? We've got Thanksgiving coming in a few weeks. Do you have a, a, you know, a stuffing recipe that your mom and your grandmother, your aunt, somebody passed on down to you? Fellas, did your daddy take you out back and teach you how to ride a bike or you know, play baseball? Or you see where I'm going with that? What are those things called? What do we call them? Traditions. Traditions, meaning that they were things of value that proved in the world to be of value and worthy of preserving and passing on. Okay. I think I think that's by the way, one of the reasons why a lot of your of your top thinkers in the history of modern conservatism, the Wyricks, the Buckleys, the Scalias, all of those men, what church did they go to? Catholic. They went Catholic. 
Why? Because they saw tradition as things worthy of being preserved and passed on. And therefore, in the, in the civic world, they wanted to preserve and pass on. They wanted to conserve that which in the real world had revealed itself to be right, noble, just, and true, and, and pass it on to next generation. See the corollary I'm drawing? Yeah. Okay? So I have no issue with tradition. I love Augustine. I love Aquinas. We have lots of common ground where that concern, where that, where, where that, those conversations come. I think, I think, you know, this idea that, boy, man, it's, I wish there was, after 9-11, if there was any way we could have gone to figure out what do we do in a world where suddenly Islam asserts a radical or violent um, dominance in the world. That's happened before. John of Damascus traveled, traveled much of the known world at the time that he was alive, hundreds of years ago, debating the early caliphs and sheikhs of, 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 uh, is, of Islamic fundamentalism on, on the, the tenets and, and the disagreements of the religion and of the faith. How many evangelicals know who in the Sam Hill, John of Damascus is. Almost not. Why? Because we have jettisoned tradition. And where tradition helps us with our sola scriptura is in the practical application of what the Word of God means. We treat Paul's letters in the New Testament. We treat them, we treat the book, what's the book of Acts? What is it? It is the traditions passed on of how the men who were directly given the Word of God then navigated, living it out, preserving it, and passing it on for future generations. So for me, I think tradition is vital. Um, and I think, the, I, I think one of the reasons Protestants fall for heresies that have been disqualified for hundreds of years. Paul himself writes in the New Testament 2,000 years ago, the gospel is not a get-rich-quick scheme. He writes those words. And if I turned on channel 372, TBN, on my direct TV when I get home tonight, and yeah, there'll be a D. James Kennedy. For every, for every D. James Kennedy on there, the next seven shows are going to be what? How Buy the Gospels are get-rich-quick scheme. Yep. Well, one of the reasons we fall for some of these things is we have jettisoned tradition altogether. So if we believe as Protestants that you put way too much weight on tradition to the point that you risk having human opinion supersede the transcendent Word of God— I believe the mistake we have made is we have jettisoned it all together so that we lack contextualism about what it means to live out our faith. Our faith is not an algorithm. It's not a theory. It's not a construct. Jesus didn't die for theories or theologies. He died for people, okay? And so we have to have a relationship with the truth just as we have to have a relationship with everything else. We're created as relational beings. And one of the ways we learn how to navigate that relationship with the truth is to learn from the mistakes and benefits that others who came before us, who wa- that large crowd of witnesses the book of Hebrews talks about. Take advantage of that large crowd of witnesses. What, is, what, what heresies was Arrhenius writing about 1,700 years ago and against heresies? Well, a lot of the same stuff we see on cable news every night. That's what he was railing against. How many of you watching me right now ever heard that name? Who was Eusebius? Do you know? Who were these people? Where did they come from? Natural law, Aquinas, that was his great theological contribution to the church, or at least one of them. All right? What does that mean? Do you know? This is the history of your faith. This is what the men and leaders of the faith who then lived it out for the last 2,000 years, this is how they navigated a real fallen world with the, with the revelations of Scripture. We sell ourselves short as evangelicals, I believe, by just ignoring all of that and jettisoning it all together. And these men you talked about, what was one of the very first things they spent doing in those first centuries? 
they spent, which is why it's so important not to jettison. They were fighting the first deadly worldview, Steve, that they laid yes. out Gnosticism. Yes. Yes. It was right there from the beginning. And that's why you need spend your time. You don't need to take, uh, you know, just drink it from a fire hose, whole cloth, whatever they said or did. But they were on the front lines. I think you'd, and if you want to know, uh, again, I can't stress enough how thankful I am for how Steve keeps it. Just take Catholics on the terms that they say they believe. That could be wrong, but take them on those terms and not what you believe. Pick up a catechism of the Catholic Church, and you will find that Scripture is not remotely subservient to anything. There you will see the melding of Scripture, of tradition, and of the magisterium in a way that I think you will actually find quite edifying, whether you become Catholic or not. You will simply find that there is much mere Christianity in there. You want to add anything to Aaron, before we move on? No, well, not not really much. It It is... We are we are always doing ourselves a disservice to not even if you disagree with uh, certain aspects of Catholicism, whatever whatever aspects of Catholicism uh, you disagree with, you are always 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 doing yourself a disservice not to understand why people believe the way they believe mm-hmm. and the origins of those beliefs. That is a breakdown in three dimensional thinking. And you're always doing yourself a disservice if you do not investigate that. And as Todd said, sometimes it can be really, really edifying. For me, I've brought this example up multiple times. It seems like a small thing. But when you look, walk into Catholic cathedrals or Catholic monasteries or Catholic churches, what have you, the various sizes, there is real beauty at, in, as far as the architecture goes. And there is meaning behind the architecture. There's meanings behind the, it. It is so edifying some of these things that have been done throughout the history of the church, um, whether it's Protestant or Catholic, that can edify you, even if you ne- don't necessarily uh, agree theologically or ecclesia- uh, ecclesiologist. I'm, that word, ecclesiastically. I'm, ecclesiastically. <clears throat> thank you very much. Yes. I, I'm glad I'm not on radio on it every day. Um, this is, <laughs> th- these things can really help you uh, as well, and if nothing else, just edify and encourage you. I think what you said there a second ago before we moved on to the next topic is important. You know, last hour when we talked about Don Lemon and we talked about the violent, hateful rhetoric on left-wing cable news, I didn't ask you guys to give... And by the way, there is a time for clickbaity snark. I do it. So when I say, when I said to you guys last hour, this is not the time to Breitbart things, I'm not saying there's never a time to Breitbart things. It's one of your spiritual gifts. Yeah, there's there's definitely a time to Breitbart it up, all right? There is a time, what's the old Irish Catholic uh, saying? The number, the thing the devil hates most is to be mocked, okay? So there is a time to clickbait troll and Breitbart this sucker up. I'm not saying you were going to say have another beer. (laughs) All right, there is a time for that. I'm saying what I wanted us though, that can't be all the time. If you do that to your opponent all the time, then you you won't defeat them. Because you won't take seriously where they're coming from, and you won't understand what's driving them, and then you can't defeat them if you just make them a straw man. And, and so we did that with the other side that we have almost nothing in common with other than we're made in the image of God, and that's pretty much where our commonalities tend to end when you're talking about the Don Lemons of the world or the MSNBCs of the world. So the same accommodation works to each other, all right? I, I, I have disagreements with him, but I want them to be the things we actually disagree about, not the things I think he thinks about what, or the things that he thinks that I think about what I think. Let people speak for themselves, right? And, you know, like I said yesterday, what was my one mic drop life advice, life coach advice yesterday? Wait until somebody says something you disagree with to disagree. That's what I got right there. We should stop the show right now. I can't come up with anything better than that right now. 
But alas, I've got to fill 40 more minutes and it's not going to be nearly as wise as that last three seconds was. So let's move on. Um, McKay Anderson says, this is another question for you. I've been very curious about one of Todd's statements recently regarding sex abuse in the church. On a couple of occasions, Todd has cited the problem of saying something like, gay is not a sin if you don't act on it. I'm torn because doesn't the devil have power to present certain temptations to us without our consent? I don't see how being tempted is a sin. After all, the Lord was tempted. If you find it worthwhile to explore where Todd and even you guys are coming from on this, I'd be very curious to hear it. It seems that may apply to a variety of issues. I think, I I want you to answer the way you see it. I think the confusion he is drawing, that McKay is drawing here though, it is one thing to say I am tempted by something. It's another thing to identify with your temptation, right? Yes. It's another, it's another way, because if you identify with your temptation as opposed to with your Lord and Savior, who ultimately is your God in this situation? The tempter. The tempter is, right? I mean, it's, it's, it, and I think that's what's kind of being lost here. We're not saying, are we, that being tempted is bad. When we say that my temptation is my identity, I'm a, I, I'm a fornicating priest. I'm a gay priest. I'm a stealing priest. I steal from people. That's what I do. It's what I, I, I right? If, 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 in fact, let's take it out of a politically correct sin and put it in another sin. That, I'm a steal, that's important. I, I'm a stealing priest. I'm a stealing priest. And as long as, and, and I want to steal from you all the time, and as long as I don't actually pick your pocket, make me your priest. How ridiculous does that sound? It is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The only reason it doesn't sound ridiculous in this case is stealing, unless it's an IRS agent, is not a politically cor- uh, correct and covered uh, sin in our culture right. today. Right? On the other hand, and I think the question <laughs> was asking me, saying that I've said in the past that being that that the, that what you've what you what he what you've said in the past, the idea that importing a bunch of priests who identified as homosexual and then saying as long as they don't act on their temptations then it doesn't matter if they're if they identify they've as said, homosexual or not they've said i thought that was okay yeah no that you they didn't understand why you criticized that why you said if you could elaborate on why okay. you thought that was a bad idea okay well for the for the reasons steve just said then i just want to be clear that that is that's utter nonsense. You, 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 your entire, I mean, that's babble. Your entire church is built on a lie if you're doing uh, that. But you, your, your church is ultimately a hospital for sinners. It is exactly that. So being tempted by sin, this is where you have to go to the other side of things, being tempted by any, I mean, we are all sinners in the church, and even even when we have fallen on our knees, the minute we walk out of church, heck, we're tempted by sin while we're in church. How many of us have sinned while we're in church with a, uh, uh, based on uh, or, or been tempted to sin based on thoughts of in my head? Probably mm-hmm. all of us. There's actually a, another Catholic word that you could find uh, within the Catechism of the Catholic Church. That's called concupiscence. It, it's the it, it's the temptation to sin, not that which is not a sin uh, itself. Um, um, but it's oh man, it's so crucial. I, I mean, I'm just going to repeat what Steve said. That that it that identification, and that is what is so unique about the the, the homosexual movement. How, how and, and it is made inroads within the church itself. The the Catholic high school in Des Moines now has a a group that identifies as gay, but not 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 as a group, and they would need a unique group to go through some of their issues, to fight those issues, but it's not that. It, it's, it, it's to make that, that specific sin unique to who they are. That is the worst thing you 
can do with this because that's how you 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 build a shiny little idol instead of something that ultimately needs to be defeated. Now that's not a hospital for sinners. No. What you're doing is people come to your hospital and you refuse to treat them and you tell them, you know, the the disease you have, you're just fine with it. What kind of a doctor just says, you know, I don't want to treat your disease. I, I think your disease, you're, you're, you should just live with it. Would we call that person a good doctor? No. And yes, the Lord was tempted. He did not assume his earthly minister ministry until he mastered that temptation. Okay? Now, we are human beings. And again, I'm going to defend my Catholic friend. This is why you have sacraments like confession, for example, in order to come to grips with the, your ongoing, even when you're wearing a collar, the ongoing battle, that because you're not Jesus. You're a mortal instrument, purely. And so he set aside his divinity for a time, okay? But there was never, he set it aside as he lived out the will of the Father, but there was never a time that he was not God in the flesh at the exact same time. You're never God in the flesh, in any ministry capacity at all whatsoever. And so this is why we have sacraments in the Catholic Church, like uh, repentance or confession. This is why we have men's studies and, and, and small groups in the evangelical church where we come and confess and things of that nature. It's a recognition of the fact that temptation, if we are not careful, is always there. Why? why I've been in churches, I, the last church we belonged to, I was on the preaching team. I never pursued the role of elder in the church. And I like the way that we didn't, that church didn't have where um, they asked you to be an elder. They waited for men to come to them and show the initiative. I want, I think God's calling me to be an elder. And then they vetted you. I love that model. They waited for the man to take the initiative and then they vetted him. I never took the initiative to do it. Why? Because um, I understand that I have a giftedness to communicate and it's not, a, I'm not being an, a, a braggart because a gift, did I, how did I get a gift? How did you get it? How do you how do you usually get a gift? God gave it. Somebody gives you something. All right. So I'm bragging on the gift giver here. I understand I have a gift to communicate. That's why I do what I do for a living, and people pay me well for it. But that's different than assuming the role of the of a mentor, of a formal mentor, a formal shepherd. My moral development is not good enough to have that position, which is why I never pursued it. Okay. And that's a recognition. I have not mastered temptation yet. All right. And, and so I don't have the maturity level to assume that position of responsibility in the church. And do not mistake my giftedness. Do not, do not conflate my giftedness with spiritual maturity. They are not always the same thing almost at all, all right? The, again, those are recognitions of who we are. When we say you're just fine how you are in your sin, all of these distinctions, we're throwing them all away and saying they don't matter anymore. And instead, we're going to change what God says and what God wants you to be in order to fit you right where you're at right now, that's not the gospel. And that's me, the complaint. And let me put an exclamation point on that from the Catholic perspective. Uh, it's what you take issue with whether or not uh, there should be a uh, uh, all-male uh, priesthood. But if you do uh, believe that there should be, and then your next step is to say that within that all-male priesthood, it absolutely does not matter in any way, shape, or form. Um, if you have uh, a strong pull to homosexual tendencies, and that's neither here nor there within that construct or any other, you're, you're, I mean, that's a death sentence. That's a death sentence. Similarly, and this isn't if 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 you don't believe you can take a vow of celibacy, you know, then don't 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 join the ministry. Then I mean, and you know, there's plenty of other ways in, in, within like, within Catholicism to serve. Rather than does Paul would describe it to burn with lust, right? You, you know, this is 
it comes down to this question. Who's in charge? That's really what we're asking. Who's in charge here? Are we in charge or is he in charge? That's really, you know, one of the smartest things I've ever heard anybody say. Uh, years and years ago, Dr. James Dobson said this. There's really only two, there's a lot of belief systems and a lot of ideologies in the world today, but there's really only two worldviews. There's really only two. God is or he isn't. And that's it. And remember that's what, it. Yes, remember what the rich man said to, uh, to the, the, Jesus said to the rich man, I did all this and this and this in my name. And he's, okay, now give her all your belongings. That's what the gay yes. priest will not do. He will not give it away. Yeah, that's a good way of ending it. All right, we'll come back. More feedback Friday here live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. Stay tuned. All right, back here live on The Blaze. Final segment on a Friday, final segment of the week on demand here at CRTV. You can also subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. It is a feedback Friday. Let's finish it out with Alex from Minneapolis. Uh, We'll start our final segment of the week. I was wondering what your thoughts are on the following situation that happened to me recently. I'm a huge Kirk Cousins fan. For those of you that don't know, he is the... uh, uh, outstanding quarterback of, well, now of the Minnesota Vikings, uh, signed what was for about 10 minutes anyway, the richest contract in NFL history. Um, and he's a former outstanding quarterback for the Washington Redskins. He's a huge Kirk Cousins fan. He went to my high school. Kirk's, by the way, if you've ever heard him talk, and I say this is a Wolverine, and Kirk's a Sparty, and he kicked our butt three years in a row. So I ought to be bitter, but just a dude, man, and is on fire for his faith and a heck of a competitor. He's one of those guys, you, you know, I want to hate, and then I don't like even more because I have no ground to dislike him, which makes me dislike him even more. You know what I'm saying? That guy, he's one of those guys. I got you. Okay. Uh, I'm a huge Kirk Cousins fan. Uh, Alex from Minneapolis writes, he went to my high school this morning or recently on a Saturday morning pickup basketball. I was wearing a Redskins t-shirt. Another white guy came up to me and introduced himself and we made some small talk. He then asked me if I was aware of how some people might find the shirt offensive. I froze and didn't know what to say. I'm quite aware of the controversy surrounding the team's name and also as a history teacher know a good amount about the Indian Removal Act, the Trail of Tears, and the general mistreatment of our government toward Native Americans. As a Christian first and foremost, what do you think the right response is to this controversy? Well, Alex, I believe there are two false choices here. First and foremost, a white guy in Minneapolis coming up to you to complain about wearing a Redskins t-shirt. Here's what you do to his complaint. See you next week at the pickup game. All right. This is already a scam. Now, I'm not saying there's not a legitimate reason to be concerned about the name. That's a whole separate conversation. All right. But do not allow your, your guilt to be stoked by someone else's fake guilt. For if, indeed, the white guy who came up to you at in Minneapolis at a pickup basketball game to talk about how offensive your shirt was, if, indeed, he identified truly with the plight of Native Americans, you know where he would not have been on a Saturday morning enjoying a pickup basketball game in Minneapolis. He would be suffering at the local reservation. He would be rejecting the accoutrements of Western civilization. In exchange for Wi-Fi, he'd be seeking wampum. And instead of, uh, you know, a, a 
pickup basketball game, he'd be looking for the local sweat lodge. All right, so right away, this is all fake. All fake. It's the, it's the clip I responded to on Twitter this morning from Bob Corker, the outgoing progressive Republican senator in Tennessee. Yeah. If your children were on that caravan... You wouldn't want them coming to America. That Don't fall for any of that. Don't so embrace don't you, any of that. Yeah, why don't you go join them, Bob? Pure, yeah, pure unadulterated. That's the same argument that Obama used. Well, if your daughter was pregnant with a child, you wouldn't want her punished with a baby, right? This is, this is, this is outcome by desire based on pure, raw emotionalism. Don't fall for any of that. He has no standing whatsoever by the fact he was even there on a Saturday. And not showing true solidarity for the plight he claims to be concerned about. He really ain't all that concerned about the plight. All right? So that's fake to begin with. Reject that. That's one false choice. Everybody with me on this so far? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, though, all right? See, this is where we make mistakes as conservatives. We assume that because much of the, the, much of the dehumanizing that is, that is called dehumanizing from people that want to kill children and, and not acknowledge they're human is fake, we then on the right use that to justify that there is no dehumanization that takes place. That's the second false choice. No. You know, a guy wrote me the other day, I wish you'd stop issuing disclaimers whenever Trump does something you agree with. How do you, why do you have to tell us all the time you don't agree with him all the time? That's a progressive. The progressives never do that. The progressives never say, well, I didn't agree with Obama all the time. And I wrote back to him, I don't judge my standards by the people whose standard I'm opposed to. And then he gave me a butthurt response. Oh, way to come over the top. All I did was he, he asked me to judge my moral standard. By the standard I'm opposed to, I told him I'm not going to do that, and now he's but I'm already tired of this dumb rabbit hole. Yeah, these are all fake. This, the whole thing's a fake choice. All of this is fake. Corker's outrage is fake. It's not a standard that people are hurting, so we give them what they want. I I did an interview with Talk Radio Europe when Rules for Patriots came out, and they had they had this attractive little millennial talk show hostess who wanted to come after me on the issue of abortion. And her, her, her basis for the issue of abortion was because those, the children that are born into bad situations or handicapped or disabled might suffer. I asked her, have you ever suffered in life? Yes. Then end your life. You should end your own life. That's what I told her right on her show. End your own life. Should, prove to me the conviction that suffering is bad and that if life produces suffering, it's not a life worthy of living. Prove to me. Start with you. End your life right now. I'll wait. Oh, she didn't like that. So what? I don't care. I'm, all I asked you to do was live out your own logic. So when, you know, it, when people aren't willing to live out their own standard, probably not a standard worthy of considering. So Alex, my first thing to you would be, don't fall for the false choice. Your white guy, buddy, it, it, it isn't woke. He's dumb. All right? So reject that. But it doesn't mean the name is not problematic. So where do we go to find out how we should, what what we should do? Like in the year 2018, if I owned a sports team and we started it from scratch, would I call it the Redskins? No. For the same reason I wouldn't call it the Blackskins or the Megyn Kelly skins for that matter. See what I did there? All right. So no, I would not do that. (laughs) Okay. I don't think it's good branding, good marketing. I don't really find it all that humane, but it's also, this name is predates 2018. The name's a hundred years old. All right, so 
Well, the team's about 90 years old. And so, to, to that point, because a lot of people don't know this, guess what a lot of Native American high schools call their teams? Too? Yes, I was going to get to that. All right. So I was about to write a column when this, when this controversy was raging hot a couple of years ago. I actually had written a column for the Washington Times approaching this from a conservative perspective, from the Imago Dei perspective, that I thought this was dehumanizing. And for me, as a Christian and as a conservative, anything, it's Martin Luther King, it's, it's the way Martin Luther King articulates Aquinas' standard in Letter from a Birmingham Jail. Anything that demeans the, human, the value of the human person, Christians should reject. But then I asked myself, before I sent the Washington Times the column, I, maybe I should find out what the people whose likeness is being depicted think rather than what Christine Brennan in USA Today thinks about it as a white female making high six figures for writing columns almost no one reads except for other liberal media people three times a week in USA Today, right? Let, let me yes. find out and see what Christine Brennan thinks from her posh Connecticut home, all right? Let me find out what the people whose likeness is being, in my, is being abused. Let me find out what they think. And you know what I found is when this case went to court, there were just as many Native American tribes who went to the defense of Daniel Snyder and the Redskins keeping the likeness as opposed to it. Now, to me, Redskins is different than, say, the Seminoles in Florida. That's a specific likeness. Now, I'm a capitalist as well. I think we would all agree you don't get to use someone's specific likeness without their permission unless you're cutting them a check. Would we all agree on that as a capitalist? Absolutely. Yeah. So you can't call yourself the Seminole tribe unless the Seminole tribe says, we're down with it. And the Seminole tribe was. When I was a kid growing up, that's why they have Chief Osceola, the Seminole tribe in Florida, likes the tradition. When I was a kid growing up in Michigan, Eastern Michigan used to be called the Hurons because that was the tribe in Ypsilanti. White liberals on the faculty in the, in, the, in the early 90s decided that the name was racist and offensive, so they changed it to Eagles. The Huron tribe showed up at the Michigan Board of Regents to say, I don't know, we kind of like the name and we like getting into the games for free. <laughs> We're cold. We're totally fine if you guys use it. And the white liberals, were, well, you guys don't realize how, oh, how offensive this is. So we're going to change it to Eagles. So now nobody remembers 25. That was 25 years ago. Nobody remembers what the hell a Huron was anymore. When we used to hear the name Huron every day in the newspaper. It's a little bit like, hey, I think Apu, the only hardworking, rugged, individualistic character in The Simpsons is racist. So let's remove him so that now all the characters are white. Did you know what sense that makes? I that, wanna, I that's wanna, progressive. I, I want to draw so much attention to the plight of the Huron tribe in, in, 19, in 20th century Michigan that I'm just going to remove the only process by which anybody even hears about them every single day in the news through the university. I'm going to get rid of that. Does that make any sense to you? That's progressivism. No, it, it, of course not. Now, if, if, if you as a believer, now Redskins is not a specific name of a tribe. It's largely historically been used as a pejorative to describe people that you've marginalized. So because of that historical stigma, and because of your position as a history teacher, Alex, if you, if you decide, you know what, that's just a gray area, man, I don't even want to approach and I'm not going to go down because whatever I get out of wearing the stuff, the, the blowback it does, like yesterday, my wife had found a sweater that was pretty irreverent. And I absolutely, it was a reference to my all time favorite SNL skit, Alec Baldwin, Shvetty Balls. <laughs> okay. And she's like, honey, I have got to buy you this for Christmas. And I'm like, I would love to have it. Here's the problem. I, I couldn't wear it because it, it's, it's a gray area line that it's, it's just, it's a, you know, one of my buddies, John Miller likes to say, don't play in traffic. It's playing in traffic. Okay. So if you decide in the community you live in, cause you're not living in Washington DC where the team's called the Redskins, Alex, you live in Minneapolis. 
if you in your conscience make the decision, the fallout of, of acknowledging this brand because of some of the historical stigmas isn't worth some of the other good work I'm trying to do and stand for in the community, then don't wear the shirt. But don't wear it for that reason. Not because you're fake white guy, buddy, who is chilling out at, at a, at, at, in, a, in a heated gym on a Saturday rather than suffering at the reservation with people he really doesn't care about. He just wants to, he wants his own self-righteousness. He wants it affirmed. Don't do it for that reason. Do it because you're like, what would my students say to me if I wore this shirt? Can I justify it? And if you, if the answer is no, then don't wear it for that reason. Any thoughts? That'll preach. That's what I think. Aaron is a representative of the generation totally worked over now and indoctrinated by the fake guilt that Alex was subjected to. Your thoughts? Yep, uh, same reason. And so that's just one issue. But the process by which we fall for the progressive pro- propaganda and uh, mass, whether it's through the public schooling system or the universities uh, or what have you, it's the same process over and over again. It is appealing to your emotion, get, making you feel guilty, and then forcing, because of that guilt, uh, forcing you to change what you believe or what you. Um, or what you uh, do or the way you behave based on that guilt without really knowing why, um, the, the why behind it. Just It's just guilt. It's all emotion. Don't, don't fall for that. Guilt is really powerful. That's why people fall for progressivism all the yes. time. And yeah. that's why they still follow, fall for it. And that's why it's so uh, – that's why it's the, the heresy of our age. Always, always, always. If you feel guilty about something, guilt—it's not the way we are supposed to design. It's either, it's either because you are in sin, or it's because somebody's trying to manipulate you. Yes. Um. Never. If if you feel guilt for something, always, always check yourself before yeah. you wreck yourself. Yeah, that's right on the money. God will cause you to feel guilt so that you will repent to Him, so He can free you from your sin. The progressive will cause you to feel guilt, so you will repeat. You will repent to them and let them define for you what is and isn't sin. Two totally and different things. And thus, stay in chains forever. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that, don't don't fall for that. That doesn't mean by the. And I think we need to. This is the thing I've been pushing back. Pardon me. The last couple of years, just because what they do is bad, doesn't mean we get to do bad because we're not as bad. That's all self-righteous, moral subjectivism. That's what you're guilty of the exact same thing you're, you're pushing back on. You just put a new uniform and a new frosting on the exact same cake. No. Nope. It doesn't mean we go around just using racially insensitive and culturally insensitive things without any, any predisposition for what the fallout of them are whatsoever. Um, but it does mean that if we choose to say it's bad— Choose to say it's bad for the reasons God says it's bad, not be, not from the, the crowd that thinks the state is God, thinks it's bad. Because you know who they think is bad more than anything else? God. Nothing's worse to the state is God crowd than God himself, period. Okay? And the premise for why we do things is so vitally important. On Monday, we're going to have a conversation, I hope, um, with a liberal journalist that I had a back and forth with on Im- on immigration on Twitter. She's in. And I hope she's, I show, because we've had people be in before in the not show. Sure. Okay. I hope she shows. And I've talked to her before. I've let her use me as a source for a name source, an article she's written before. So I'm hoping that we have enough of a rapport that she'll show up. 
And I said something to her today on Twitter. I suspect that when we start having this conversation, you're going to find when it comes to immigration that the conclusions we don't probably radically disagree on. It's the premise. And you saw this a few days ago on Twitter when Mark Krikorkian over at the Center uh, for American Immigration Reform, which is a very pro-American pro American pro law and order immigration group, had a Twitter thread with Maddie Iglesias at the Huffington Post. And when they got down to the end, they actually agreed. It's not humane just to deport a millions of people that we've allowed to live here and support and, and, and build families and, and put in roots. They, they agreed with that. They disagreed at the very premise. What's the point of the immigration system? Is the point of the immigration system, or is, it, it, is there, what's the, does it start with we secure our own borders and make sure our people are safe? Or does it start with a bleeding heart premise? That's really what the debate is over. And when I go back to the Bob Corker clip we talked about a second ago, oh, if these were your children, you'd want to let them in. Okay, if that's our standard now, the Kate Steinle's family is one of thousands in America that don't, whose children are gone because they were killed by illegal aliens. Should I then say, hey, if your children were killed by an illegal alien, you'd seal the border and never let anybody in. What would they say if I use that as a standard? That's how it works, right? If something bad could potentially happen to your kids or has happened to your kids, then you get to just dramatically alter public policy based off the emotion of that experience. Am I doing this right, Mr. Corker? Senator, am I doing this right? So if, 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 if an illegal alien, if MS-13 gang from Latin America has killed Americans as illegal aliens, that means if that's the standard, I, something bad, if it was your kid and something bad happened, that's the new policy. Okay, the standard is then a bunch of uh, Latino-looking MS-13 gang members uh, murdered somebody. So that means uh, if it was your kid, you'd want all Latinos not allowed into the country, right? That, am I doing this right? Am I doing it right? That's, like that's the way it. it works, right? I think that you stuck the landing. Yeah. Does that, sound like, does that sound like a crock to you? Does that sound like justice to you? It's just raw, unbridled emotionalism. It's the conversation we had about the, the priesthood in the last segment. If I just change the sin, I change it from the, from homosexuality to thieving, and a priest and would a priest get out of the seminary? I don't, I don't even a Jesuit seminary would, a, and that's would a priest get out of a Jesuit seminary if he stood up and said, "I just have this." I got to tell you, if 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 I don't know that I can avoid, uh, you know, you know, lifting somebody's wallet, would he even get out of a Jesuit seminary saying, "I identify as a thief"? Would he get out of a Jesuit seminary with that? No. Of course not. So this is so this is a ridiculous standard. It's just this particular sin has, a, has an activist group, and it's protected. And the standard that's being articulated on issues like the Redskins and immigration, it's not even, it's not even the, the conclusion of the policy that's bad. It's the premise we begin the policy or the stance from. Argue the premise of the argument, not the conclusion. Argue the premise. Whoever, this is a law of argumentation and philosophy. Whoever's premise is accepted in an argument is always going to win the argument every time. It might happen in the first tweet. It might happen six months later. But eventually, whoever's premise is allowed to stand in the argument is going to win the argument. Gentlemen, we got about 90 seconds left. What did you learn here today or this week? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's in Rules for Patriots. It's, it's always the premise. And the premise will always be uh, set by your worldview, which is why that's where the conflict comes into. Because I think most of the time, uh, most of the time we're going to end up, I mean, who's going to end up in, in uh, a place of, yeah, just deport them all. And um, I mean, some, peop- some really cold-hearted people maybe, but most people are going to 
uh, end up in the same kind of conclusion, at least in the same ballpark, that it is the premise, and you're absolutely right. That is why the language we use matters all of the time when we are in the public square, when we are debating, and that is why... That is why uh, all the time you you hear what is what words and are allowed inside the Overton window and what is not, and it's important that we be aware of that. Uh, because the truth is its own reward. Uh, you shouldn't be afraid if you're a Catholic, tax a Protestant, or vice versa, to go down that road with you and ultimately be satisfied with what you find. John three seventeen. Have a great weekend. See you on Monday. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.